Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode number 70 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I am here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out on the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So I am mainly here to help you get off the sofa and get on the saddles and hopefully get on the trails. That is the aim. So if you're a first time listener to the show, thanks very much for being here. And I hope you do learn something from this episode and you can take it out on the trails with you. That is the main reason why I am here. So if you're listening via iTunes, I would appreciate you sharing the show. Also, just rating the show five stars is always the best you know and um, leaving a wee comment there that would be awesome subscribe to the show and share with friends is the best way to help the podcast the podcast can also be listened to via stitcher it can be listened to via podbean and spotify as well you can also just simply listen to it via the website it is mtb-tribe.com you can go there you can look at all our past episodes and you can simply Listen to them from the website or just download them onto your favourite device. So thanks for doing that. Now on to today's show. Today's show's a wee bit different because I often get asked about what my best episode has been. But it's kind of difficult to answer that because of timelines, etc. The podcast has got more popular through time, so episodes are downloading quicker and, and more episodes are downloading um just simply because it's later on the podcast. So I thought I would revisit one of the best uh, for this week's episode. And I think it is also a very relevant episode for the start of the year as we are all looking forward to the spring and possibly thinking of purchasing a new bike, which is always lovely. So um, I originally recorded this episode with Lewis and Kieran back in March 2018. It was episode number 29. Um, But I think it's still very relevant today, and it's an episode about why you should buy a new bike. I chatted to the guys about what's the pros, what's the cons of buying a new bike, how technology has changed from the bike that I ride, which is a, I think it's nine years old now, it's a specialised stump jumper. So we chat about that and how certain technology has changed on bikes since then, from drivetrains to forks to brakes to even your seated position. So it's it's all very interesting. And if you're thinking of purchasing a new bike um, or you feel it's time to maybe change, we chat about what kind of price range you should be looking at spending and the pros and cons again of different prices and stuff like that. Because companies want to sell as new bikes, but do you really need to change? And if you are thinking of changing, what are the benefits? What do you get out of your hard-earned money to put into a bike? So we chat to the guys about that. The guys at Make Monkey are awesome, and I really did enjoy this episode. So sit back, chill out, relax, and um, maybe get your wallet handy. A new bike maybe uh, just around the corner. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Enjoy the episode. So we're up in uh, Make Monkey in Belfast, just off Boucher Road, and the guys are going to try and encourage me or tell me why I should buy a new bike. Guys, just lent me a 2018 Rocky Mountain Altitude. Shimano 70 is that one? Uh, yeah, all the X, XT and SLX stuff on it. Yeah, yeah. 7, okay. 8, cool. All right, so for the guys listening, I'm riding a specialized stump jumper, which is about 
nine or ten years old now and really does need some serious work done to it. So the guys lent me the Rocky Mountain Altitude, which I absolutely loved. I put some posts up on about social on social media about it and stuff. Um, but I'm going to ask the guys some questions on why I should buy a new bike or why you should buy a new bike. So let's break it down into a few different things. Um, first of all, Kieran and Lewis, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Appreciate it. It's late. The guys have had a full day's work already done, so uh, they're a bit tired. That's why they're on the monster. So I might mumble and ramble on a wee bit. <laughs> uh, so, guys, let's talk frame first and shape of frames and how that's changed. So, how have they changed over the last 10 years from when I bought, well, I only have the stump jumper about three years, but from when the stump jumper was made until now? Uh, probably the biggest thing is bikes have got a lot longer like reach wise so you probably notice jumping off your bike onto even the altitude which wouldn't be the longest of bikes mm-hmm. out there um that you probably had like a big difference in reach um head angles have got a lot slacker uh chain stays generally shorter bottom brackets usually a bit lower so really all just helps out with stability you know frames now are probably more stable than they have been at any time in the past like you're riding a trail bike now that was probably downhill bike geometry you know seven or eight years ago Mm. and do you think is that the main reason for them being longer and stuff like that is more stability and more confidence on the bike yeah definitely i mean you can see bikes in the last sort of maybe last year or so everything's starting to get like a steeper seat tube angle so that's kind of trying to make a bike that's a quite long pedal up hills quite nice you know okay so get your weight forward over the bottom bracket just gives you a better pedaling uh position but that's kind of counteracting the fact that bikes just got really long and really slack to make them you know a lot more stable a lot faster so i think the the bikes now today you'll feel the difference when you pick the speed up in them on the rougher stuff and steeper stuff right so it makes it it makes it for a better ride, really, the frame shape now. Do you think is it also to try and get a bike that does everything better? Bikes definitely do a lot. Like, I mean, I just ride a trail bike now. I haven't owned a downhill bike in probably 10 years or more. Mm. Um, you, you don't really need, for our country anyway, a bike for downhill or a bike, you know, just for, for trails and stuff um one 150 160 mil travel bike could probably attack anything that we have to offer so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and as far as uh weight and strength and stuff like that goes how's the frames changed over the last 10 years or so um all advancements in the sort of like technology of of making the bikes and different uh techniques have made bikes lighter generally and you know as strong as they ever were or stronger so mm-hmm. you've got like a full six inch travel bike you know with a reasonable spec probably going to be 30 pound in weight um which you know i don't know even 10 years ago was probably closer to 36 or or more you know mm-hmm. so. yeah and do you think with the shape of frames now and full suspension has that whole thing changed in frames as you know, because you'll see on certain bikes the rear the rear suspensions in different positions and all. Is that just evolve or how do they look at that? There's I mean, you'll see now even today that there's 
like every company has their their shock position in a different place or you know they've got different style linkages that's really a packaging thing um there is some advantages to some styles um i mean the likes that canyon we're looking at here you can see where the shock is there allows mm. you to get a bottle cage in um, right because that's the same as my bike my shock's down yeah. there so that that's that's a fairly traditional sort of setup right and uh and that canyon's more or less as well yeah it's like a year old or something yeah so. okay but you can see you know you can get a bottle cage and that's something that's probably got more important to people in the last i don't know two three years i like riding with a bottle cage um like i live close to some trails that i can just pop out the door Mm, go straight up and i don't want to be carrying like a camel back or anything like that so um and especially just boys on ews enduros and stuff you know they're out and they want as much stuff seemingly attached to the bike as possible so right um on the bike and not on their back yeah so you've got that and then the position that allows you to get the you know the stand over as low as possible so with that bike you can see it's got a fairly tall seat tube but you've got a lot of space to move about on the bike as well mm. just because the top tube can come down at a at a real sort of fairly extreme angle there so. yeah yeah and you know what would be the advantage then say my bike so if you were trying to encourage me to buy a new bike would I be better buying a complete bike or is the frame good enough? Should I keep the frame or what would be your opinion on that? I would say a new bike, complete new bike. Um, frames, it used to be better to build a bike up. You know, it used to be a lot of the frames and stuff would have been fairly similar geometry wise and stuff. Um, and component like bikes as a full build generally never came with what you wanted on the whole bike. But mm. bikes are coming so well spec now for for sort of decent money. I know it's a fortune, and like a bike still the entry level one's like three times the price of my car. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> the kind of cars we drive on yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's it. Like I mean, you know, a two and a half, two thousand three hundred quid bike is pretty much spec'd out to what most people will need. Now you can go fancier, you can go lighter, but that sort of entry level, you're not going to be able to build around your current frame and get something that rides as good hmm. for the same so okay so go full bike all right so if i was to go or let's just say the frame the frames have changed a good wee bit since mine how does that make me a better rider or what does that do to make me enjoy riding more so um you can probably still have the same amount of fun on your old bike you know there's plenty of people riding old bikes like I've got a couple of old hardtails and stuff, and I love getting out on them as much as I do on anything else. But um, if you're wanting to go quick, new bikes have definitely got... It's just made it a lot easier. You know, like people aren't going to be setting records that, that fast guys weren't doing, you know, 10 years ago on your stump jumper. But mm-hmm. And there's still probably someone coming come in, jump on that stump jumper and spank me on my brand new bike. But... As far as flatter in your riding ability, like new bikes definitely seem to be getting to that point like where geometry makes a massive difference. And, you know, I've noticed it in my own riding as well. Like, I'm not the fastest boy out there, but I just got a nice new transition. And mm. they've done some, not madly out there, but sort of outside the box geometry from, from what's sort of available at the minute. And right. I've noticed big differences and, like, 
Kieran will tell you the first day I was out on it, I was like ear to ear grinning, just going like, this is flattering. This has made me like 10 or 15% faster. No bother. So what's the difference in your transition bike then? What's the difference between that and say my stump jumper or what you were riding last year? Yeah. Why do you think it's so much better? Um, they've just they've tweaked a few things. So like I said, they've steepened the seat angle. So the bike climbs a bit better than what I was on before. I was on like a 2017 Nuke Proof Mega which is a great bike and it does a lot of stuff well, but I've just definitely noticed improvements in this wee bike. Um, it's about a degree slacker in the head angle, but then the fork has got a reduced offset, which when you go slacker, you generally make a bike feel a lot lazier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just harder to get around tight corners and all that kind of stuff. Um, they've offset it with the lower offset fork, which gives it a lot more, uh, it's a lot more nimble than it was or it would have been without it, you know. Yeah, so I've noticed that it it's kind of made a real good all round bike. You can ride it in places that maybe don't need a bike with that big a travel or that slack a head angle. Mm-hmm. But then when you get it on something real rough or steep, it just eats it up. So it just goes. And you reckon that that bike was quite heavy? It's definitely got a bit of weight to it, but it, it's the base model. Um, so it comes with basic enough wheels. Um, I've got fairly heavy tires on it anyway. Right. And it's something I never usually, you know, skimp on weight. Just go for a tire that grips and won't puncture because I'm the wrong side of 100 kilograms. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would think that the weight's more in the components than the frame? Yeah, I mean, the frame's probably average enough. I think most of it's in, in the components, but I wouldn't, like, I was kind of a bit bummed when I weighed it, and then I went and rode it, and it's like, yeah, it's it's meant like you know don't feel it when you get it on no. the trail it'd be nice if it was lighter just a lot a bit less to carry up the hills but yeah, yeah. coming down it helps and them offset forks is pretty nifty you showed me that the last time i was in with you is, um it's pretty cool i never even i never even thought yeah you know that that kind of thing existed really no, it's, a, it's something some people have been working with recently you know chris porter from uh he's doing the geometron bikes uh He's been doing a lot with lowering offsets and trying slacker slacker head angles. We've actually got uh, one of his bikes in here at the minute, getting built up. Um, it'd be a pretty interesting thing to show you. So it's it's mm. taken that you know they're not quite as mass produced. So he's kind of went like they're very long, they're very slack, and like an extreme offset. So he's using like a twenty six inch top crown with uh, like a twenty nine or a twenty seven five lower leg just to get like a real low offset so. right wow so, so wow that's a bit different then yeah so that's it i mean there's there's people like way out further than what that transition would be but then it's quite a nice happy medium as as far as a production bike goes cool well let's talk about forks and suspension then and firstly let's talk about a full suspension bike versus a hard tail so what would be the real differences as far as that on the trail and what would you suggest somebody that's riding trails around here kind of goes for? Yeah, um, like a good hardtail is, is a real nice thing to have. You know, there's a lot of hardtails now that, that are mirroring that, you know, the same way that all the suspension bikes are going. So they're they're longer, slacker, lower, you know, everything you want. Um, a hardtail with a good fork on it will be like you know nearly every bit as capable as a as mm. a decent full susser on the in the right hands you will have to work harder you'll have to find grip you know where mm-hmm. a rear suspension 
it sort of gives you a mechanical grip that you want to have with a hardtail. Um, but you can definitely learn to ride them and and have everybody as much fun. So, like, I love a hardtail, and uh, I wouldn't put anybody off by one. So. Yeah, so the rear shock really keeps the tire on the ground. Yeah. That's its main... That's it. Same as your car. If you didn't have back suspension, the thing would be bouncing all over the place. And, like, it's fun on a hardtail. If you go on a, a, a rowdy track on a hardtail, you'll know you're riding it, you know. Yeah. It can be, like... So I know some boys that ride them because, like, the full suspension bikes make it a bit mundane and a bit easy, you know, on right. tracks that they know and are riding week in, week out. So, yeah, that hardtail, and you feel like you're going way faster and you're maybe not, maybe not going as extreme speeds. Mm. Because you, do, you, stu, you still do see hardtails out in the trails. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, hardtails have maybe even made a bit of a comeback Aye. recently, you know. A nice steel hard deal with a good geometry seems to be fairly sought after. Yeah, and as far as price goes, if you were spending the same money on a hard tail bike, you'd obviously get more bike or better components. Generally, Would they come in a wee bit cheaper than a full sus? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you'll probably get, you know, just over a thousand pound will probably buy you a hard tail with pretty decent componentry. Um whereas like to get the same full suspension bike, you're maybe paying about an extra grand. So mm. so do you think a lot of people would have one of each? A lot of people we know do seem to have one really? of each. And okay. it, it tends to be just something, again, to make the trails a bit more interesting. Or boys will put the winter in on them rather than throwing, you know, bearing kits and mm. stuff. At, uh, they usually tend to have a you know a good full suspension bike and then maybe a slightly down-spec hardtail. So it's something that they can kind of just use as a hack bike to... Uh, parts aren't as expensive. You don't have to be putting bearing kits into frames as often. Right. Rear suspension to service, all that kind of stuff. So, okay, so it's it's a good option. Anyway, are cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, my mate that I normally ride with, he still rides a hard tail. Yeah. Um, I think it's just because he doesn't want to put money into a new bike, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know he's no complaints. Like no, that's it. I mean, uh, probably. Two or three years ago now, I spent most of the winter on a hardtail uh, when, when I was working with CRC doing the prototype and stuff. I loved it, like um, like a good spec hardtail with a 150 or 160 mil fork. You can have a laugh on it, like, and it teaches you how to ride, you know. Mm. You can get lazy and complacent on your, your big grippy full suspension bike, but a hardtail will put manners on you. <laughs> <laughs> so take us through the different suspension options there are then, just, just roughly. Uh, like brands wise or <clears throat> well just let's just say on front forks you have 130 150 160 170 so what's the advantages of having bigger forks over smaller forks if you like yeah well i mean generally you know as you get bigger travel your ability to take bigger hits you know sort of steeper tracks rougher stuff um, bigger jumps, bigger drops will be easier. It'll take a lot of the stress off the rider and the bike will absorb more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's sort of kind of two categories you'll get for like sort of enduro trail bikes. You'll have something maybe around about 120, 130 mil and then you just sort of jump up to like 150 or 160. And for most of the stuff we have here, you could probably get away with a smaller travel bike. Um, yeah. But it's nice sometimes to have, you know, that sort of comfort cushion of a bit more travel because it'll let you get away with a bit more but maybe not as efficient to pedal about you know 
Right, okay. So if you go, <clears throat> because I noticed that, that bike in 2017, that white bike that won Enduro Trail Bike of the Year or something, yeah. I think it was 130 or 140 yeah, like front a travel. 130 or something, yeah. S- something like that. That's it. Like, um, for most of the tracks we have here, you would probably find you would have more fun and, and be faster on a smaller travel bike, you know, unless you're going to places like Ross Trevor, even Tullymore, Donard, all that kind of stuff. That's where you start to, you know, appreciate a bit more travel. Right. But near enough everything else, it's it's overkill. So. Yeah, so if you have less travel on your front forks, you're more efficient, is that? Generally more efficient, so they're a bit easier pedaled. They're not sapping as much energy out of you, but it even just goes back to, you know, it's almost a middle ground between that feeling of riding a hardtail and getting loose and having your big, super stable enduro bike. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one in between. It'll you know let you know your the trails there and not just soak everything up and make mm-hmm. it dead so for the likes of me then if i was looking at buying a new bike let's say my local trail would be dava really but then i'll head away to bike park ireland maybe i'll do a bit of ross trevor you know so i'm going to kind of be all around yeah. what would you advise i would go for then if you were front fork wise front fork wise like if you're generally sticking to trail center stuff like a 140 150 mil travel forks probably more than enough you know you could get away with a bit less yeah um like this year i'd kind of toyed with going for something with a bit less travel but maybe something with still sort of fairly slack um relaxed geometry so Mm -hmm. uh just depends on where you're riding as well you know yeah and if you had like a 130 travel fork and you want it to go to ross trevor do you need to set anything up can you change it slightly to suit something like that um you should probably have the same settings for most of the places you ride over right. here anyway um like once it's set up for your weight and to suit you know uh, most tracks you would you'd probably be pretty much spot on what you will probably do if you're riding a lot of trail center where it's like paved and stuff you're probably not going to be using the suspension you'll probably find you'll have it on like a trail setting rather than a fully open descending setting mm-hmm. um so for the likes of us driver you would have it fully active right. but like a good suspension setup would go a long way you know into making it work everywhere rather than just kind of guessing so yeah now looking at my bike the front forks which i noticed the last time i was out are really creaky really creaky so what would that be and what would be the advantage of buying, say, a new bike then over the likes of getting all that kind of stuff maintained and fixed? Um, there definitely is a point where, you know, it's just diminishing returns. So you'll you'll just be putting money into something that's maybe not, you know, going to give you the performance back. And mm-hmm. by the time you see the bill getting it all fixed, you did not been too far away from getting, you know, like a new bike. Even sometimes that is the point where, you know somebody has like an old full sensor and it maybe needs like you know just everything gone through it might need hubs fork service maybe needs a new rear shock yeah but like you're at the price point of like a pretty decent hardtail right you know maybe that's the time to to just make the change because mine feels that that time (laughs) (laughs) um grand okay and then rear suspension is that more or less work the same as front is it the same kind of idea behind the the way it works yeah definitely same idea it's all all the same you know components just in a in a smaller package really um 
you're generally looking to get a bike very well balanced front to rear to make it work good mm-hmm. um which is probably one of the the biggest things we see is bikes just not set up if i could recommend anything to anybody is like you're going and spending three grand on a bike or more like spend a couple of quid getting it set up for your weight and for where you're riding yeah and it'll make the biggest difference grant and when is too much travel just too much too much travel definitely can be too much you know like i've got that transition which is like one 165 rear 170 front and was that probably, 170 front is yeah it? it probably is too much for most of the places you would ride here it, you know it's perfect in ross trevor uh donner tullymore you know bike park Ireland and stuff but mm-hmm. like if i take that to dava or um mary peters or something like you're definitely pushing a bike that's you know overbuilt too much travel you know you don't need it so mm-hmm. um generally yeah tailor the bike to suit where you're going to be riding but bikes are so efficient now even at that bigger travel like it's not a it's not a massive hindrance to push it around somewhere a bit more pedally mm-hmm. but you just know like somebody on a smaller travel bike will be getting it a bit easier than you so yeah um and i noticed when i had that rocky mountain out the suspension just now i don't know if it's maybe how i have mine set up but that just seemed a lot more responsive or something yeah you could feel the bike a lot more what it was doing and you know you could chuck it and you were maybe going and my bike if you go offline see you there you're offline but on that you could go offline but you could correct yourself quite quickly that's part of the i mean that'll be a combination of a load of things like you know wheel sizes have differed so they're they're a bit more stable like a, a 27.5 will let you get away with more than a 26 mm-hmm. just because not hanging up and stuff is bad um bigger slacker head angles will just be making the bike more stable so uh with suspension advancements as well like you've just got a bike it's you know night and day compared to something that's 10 years old and it will just let you get away with more like some of the bikes that you can buy like a yt capper or something like they're just so stable that you know they're just like a downhill bike of yesteryear or maybe even better so. mm. yeah they they look nice but i hear they're pretty hard climbing ah you wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> uplift bikes <laughs> yeah uh, right so tell us the difference then about wheel sizes so one thing i noticed we're handing over to Kieran, who's been attacked by the shop dog, Bear. Uh, but the one thing I noticed, Kieran, the first thing I noticed when I went on the Rocky Mountain was the wheel size. It's 27.5, mine's 26, old school. Mm-hmm. It just read so differently. Yeah. So what is the difference between 26 and 27.5? What does it do to you? What does it? How does it help your riding? Uh, I guess it's, like, basically... The bigger diameter a wheel will help you roll over bigger objects. You know, it's like even the like, you know, you. I'm trying to think of a scenario, but like say, like you know, even like taking a wheelie bin up a curb. If the the wheel was way bigger, the you know it would roll up the curb without yeah. like even getting kind of hung up on it. So, although it's yeah an inch and a half difference, and then you go up again, you know, the twenty nine er, um, it's the the same principle like the if it's a bigger wheel and it comes up against an object it'll go over it uh easier um 
and as well like you know so say you've got even a small hole in a trail it works the same way where it'll bridge that hole and yeah like Lewis was saying there just not get hung up on mm-hmm. on smaller objects so like you know any kind of root rock and hang you know as you come down a trail um the wheel sides make a big difference the other thing then is the the kind of momentum of it all so you've got you know slightly bigger tire and the rotational weight but if like a big 29 inch wheel will kind of carry its speed you know for longer so it's you know if you're even transitioning from a descent to back up on a trail you know you've got that momentum helping you um and mm-hmm. your that kind of flywheel effect of it all so then you can just keep up your your cadence and you'll blast your way up the hills you know yeah as well so for somebody like me who's in the market for a new bike and there seems to be a load of debate over this 27.5 and 29 or thing yeah certain people in a, are in a you know uh, certain people say 27.5 certain people say 29 or it depends on what camp you're in so for somebody like me coming into you and wanting to, to purchase a new bike what would you advise it totally depends on what you uh, what you ride you know <sighs> that's what it comes down to <laughs> you know like, I, I'm not in a position to tell you yeah you, what do you ride I have 650b at, at the minute Right. Um, which is a same as a 27.5 yes, basically uh, yeah, more or less the same. same thing yeah yeah um uh, yeah so i have 27.5 in the minute um like coming from 26 to it i haven't been, spent any real time on a on a 29er you know mm. um but it used to kind of be when the wheel sizes come out 29er went to cross-country style stuff so and bikes tended to have either yeah be a hardtail 29er um, and those get like that sort of style of riding, just stuck with a t- twenty-nine inch wheel, and then you get kind of small, tra- like short travel trail bikes, so your hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty mil stuff, and the twenty-nine inch wheel worked well for you know boys that like to go out and do big loops and uh, just you know mm-hmm. like peddlers basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the twenty-nine inch wheel kind of got stuck with a sort of stigma of oh you couldn't turn one of them around a the corner, you know the wheel's too big. You can't so, get around stuff. It can't get around all tight things. Right. Okay. And then I think uh, that's whenever like so uh, twenty seven point five was then good for all the big travel stuff. Then it sort of stuck that way. But we're really seeing a lot of stuff coming now where people are interested in a bigger travel bike with a twenty nine inch wheel because the manufacturers have kind of went right. Well, if we treat this wheel, you know, treat this wheel size right and adapt bikes to suit, then. You can make mm-hmm. a 29er go around a corner and you can make the 29-inch wheel coupled with your 160, 170 mil travel, you know, steamroll through anything, you know. That would be a monster of a bike. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I was listening to one of the guys from Rocky Mountain and he was just chatting about this upcoming season, one of the racers. And he they, they asked him the question, would he be using 27.5 or 29? Yeah. And he said, for most... Of the events, he'd be using a 27.5, but he definitely knew at this stage two races that he'd be using a 29er. Yeah. So I suppose it just depends on the terrain you're you're riding it on and how it best suits That's You know, is it flowy and fast or is it technical and slower? And So you just have to balance that up. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't... you couldn't really go go wrong with either, you know, as, yeah. as well. Like, uh, like I say, it tend a couple of twenty nine inch wheel with a, a trail bike, you know, and that kind of nearly makes up the travel a bit as well, you know. Uh, the bigger wheel size helping you roll over stuff would maybe be mm. the equivalent of ten or twenty mil travel, you know. When you but then when you make it, 
you know a big aggressive bike with a big wheel and especially with a bigger bigger rider on top of it makes all the difference like if you're really short you might struggle with something just the, the extra wheelbase you're gonna have to deal with but yeah um you know i think you'd be dead on with either so let's put it this way if i am the kind of rider that likes to go from a to b as fast as i can as a 29 or better or if i'm the kind of rider that likes to have a bit of fun maybe try some jumps maybe tries to throw the tail out a wee bit would a 27.5 better suited to that style of riding uh i'd say like traditionally yes but i think the way stuff's going at the minute you could surprise yourself and have a lot of fun on a 29er uh like th- there's like say the transition sentinel we can't get our hands on we've, we've got one to build now and we've mm-hmm. another one a couple a couple for customers ordered but you couldn't if you walked in today and said can you get me one there'd be a couple of months waiting list where we could have you the 650b one you know in a couple of days just there's just a big turn turn for it like and i think it's you know kind of the new th- new thing it's aye. it's pretty popular yeah, but I'm not buying two bikes, Kieran, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it it varies from bike to bike, like bike model to bike model. Like, you know, you could have a 650B or a 29er, and they're both. Work. Yeah. <laughs> Is it one of them things, do you think, if you put somebody on a bike, well, you wouldn't want to put somebody on a bike blindfolded, but you know what I mean? If yeah. you didn't tell them what they were on, could they tell you, do you think? You think so? There's a good enough rider anyway. I definitely think they could, yeah. I mean, you can tell when you first jump on like a 29er that you're on a 29er, but you'll get used to it fairly quick. They, they don't ride the same, but like Kieran was saying, with, with sort of companies taking the right approach with a 29-inch wheel and building big, slack, long, low bikes with them, like there's no reason why you wouldn't have one unless like size dictated you know i'd say a smaller rider would probably not get on as well with one okay because when you get into steeper stuff you're gonna be hanging off the back of a bike with a big massive wheel trying to scrub your your shock off <laughs> so <laughs> right um yeah i mean but like now we've team rider ben erwin last year he was on a nukeproof mega 290 which is one of the f- sort of earlier bikes that were coming with a big wheel, big travel, and, you know, fairly decent modern geometry. Um, this year, he's going to be on a Transition Sentinel, which, again, big slack bike, big wheels, and, you know, it's kind of the best of both worlds for him. He loves it. Mm. He's saying, like, the bike's as capable as any 650B bike, you know, where it gets rough, but then the bigger wheels allow him to keep momentum on, you know, fire road climbs and even just smooth out the trail when he's, you know... Mm when you're flat out and is there such a thing of buying a bike and being able to put 27.5 and 29 in it can you do that uh there's a couple of bikes that advertise that they can um they'd be sort of listed as like either a 29 or 27 plus uh so they've got the tire clearance for just like a big old 27 and a half tire um i don't know how much i agree with that i think get your geometry sorted for the one bike that you want it to be and just you know get used to that yeah everything else is a compromise really well here's a scenario for you i've heard a lot of guys talking about like the old motorbike chopper thing wider tire on the back 
narrower, maybe bigger on the front. Have you heard anything like that coming through or guys chatting about that? Um, definitely had a couple of things come through now with miss, you know, sort of matched wheel size. So like a 29 front, 27 and a half rear, but I haven't rode it. So I wouldn't like to comment on yeah. what, it would, what it would be like. It just seems pretty strange. Um, it, it They've got their argument for it. You know, um, the bigger front wheels should uh, roll over stuff. Um on the front edge and then on the on the back the 27 and a half wheel shouldn't get you know hung up on stuff as hard because it isn't as you know big but yeah okay. i don't know i'd need to ride it to test it and yeah see right all right let's talk about tire porn then lewis because i know you're well <laughs> into your tires um i'm just opinionated about a couple of tires that's right it. well that's okay <laughs> just you you just tell it how you feel it is um the tires make much difference big time night and day yeah yeah i took the front tire off my bike before i rode it and changed it <laughs> to when you got the new transition yeah. you changed the rubber on it i just front tire was straight off um before i even rode it because there's no point messing about you know right just are you you're a magic mary dude are you yeah i mean i'll run most things on the back but i think on the front you need a tire that's going to grip you know i don't mind the back hanging out but the front needs to be fairly planted and i want to be telling the bike where to go rather than it telling me where to go okay so, so that's quite interesting so you got your new transition the first thing you done was change the tires so when you buy a stock bike what are the tires normally like generally tires don't you know they're never a great tire um like all bike companies skimp on certain things you mm-hmm. know like it used to be people would joke about the rear mech would be the bit that would be XT and then everything else or something would be, you know, like a lower grade. But, you know, really now wheel sets tend to be the bit that they're skimped on and things like tires because people aren't really looking at them. You know, would you see a review or somebody specking something? It's like, you know, it comes with a pike fork. It comes with, you know, uh, Eagle group set or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely places where you can sneak a wee we stinker onto the radar and tires <laughs> tend to be one like so. yeah um there is exceptions you know there's some people specking bikes quite smart um and and being a bit more generous you know like the new nuke proofs we got through uh for 2018 they're all coming with the maxis like the aftermarket maxis version rather than the oe and they're coming with the, the triple compound full double down casing and stuff so somebody's you know probably spent a good bit extra to spec that bike with those tires when they probably didn't have to yeah okay because the rest of the industry tends to give you you know it looks like a maxis minion but it's the one that's made of plastic and right has white writing on the side yeah so the the maxis minions that came in that rocky mountain altitude have the white writing now i never knew this until you told me Mm -hmm. The Maxis were the white writing or the cheaper ones and the yellow they're, they're or the more the expensive equipment stuff. So um they're they could they're decent enough tires, uh, but they're mm-hmm. just usually like a single compound and uh just, you know, basic tires. You've got a Maxis tire. Even the bike coming with a Maxis tire like that is probably dead on. But mm-hmm. you know, there's just some companies out there thinking about it and you know, stuff that's spec by riders that know what they want. 
tends to come with something a wee bit more special. So, so what's the difference in the in the compounds then? Why is one tire cheaper and one more expensive? Yeah, just generally, like a, the, the cheaper ones would be like a single compound tire. So it'll just be you know one tire made from maybe like what they would call like a sixty A rubber, so something that's fairly hard wearing. And it comes down to they don't want to spec everything with a super soft, sticky tire that's going to wear out in like you know a couple of months because then right. people probably you know a lot of people that buy the bikes probably aren't riding them to their you know yeah so they're they're a real a, good tire. I said they're probably looking at it as they don't want somebody spending a couple of grand on a bike and then in three or four months the tire's been worn on them because they'd be like you that bike look at the tires and that thing the other thing is like that you know i know by putting like a like a ultra soft magic mirror on the front of my bike it's going to slow down on like fire roads and transitions Mm. and all that kind of stuff um whereas they probably want the bike for everybody just to pedal that bit nicer and a bit you know like less rolling resistance and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of bike people have to spec bikes so a lot of things to consider you know um but generally one of the biggest improvements i think you can make the most bikes is to to put a decent tire on it so. aye so that that would be a good way to upgrade really yeah you know so when i went on that rocky mountain altitude i thought them tires were actually quite good they actually are yeah but it's funny because initially when i went on it for the first five or ten minutes i thought these tires feel really weird but I don't know, it was just probably because my tyres are about, well, I don't know how old they are because they came on the bike and I've yeah. had the bike three years, but they are very worn. No, um, I, I actually found those tyres were, were pretty grippy as well. Like, I've had a go on that Rocky Mountain a couple of times and was impressed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you can make up for a lack of sticky compound if it thing's wide enough and it's got an aggressive enough profile and they are, like, two and a, two and a half inch wide, yeah. wide trail ones, so... They, they've got mechanical grip there so yeah talking about width of tires then what would you suggest do you think a tire is something you have to change width with from summer to winter um not really i think i would be riding the same tire all year round anyway um there's a lot of there's a big movement for plus size tires at the minute mm-hmm. um there's definitely a lot of grip to be had with a bigger tire and what as a plus size tire? What size is that? Uh, so that you come like you can get like twenty six plus, twenty seven and a half plus. So right. Instead of being like an average two point three five to two point five, you're going maybe two point eight. You know. Mm-hmm. So they're a big old tire, and they're generally coupled with a bigger rim for bigger air volume. Um, yeah. So they they'll completely change the way a bike rides, and if you're used to normal volume and normal tires, you'll probably not be immediately gelling with it mm. i wasn't like i've done a bit of time mm-hmm. on plus and uh i thought that to get it that the pressure where you needed to take advantage of the the bigger volume and the grip and stuff then it ended up feeling a wee bit like not direct you know right. the bike felt a bit woolly and a bit yeah okay. unsure to me but there's loads of people loving them like your customer just got a nice new hard deal with 27 plus and he's raving about it so Horses, yeah. horses, like. So it's not maybe just the companies trying to sell yet another product. No, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, but there's guys liking it, so yeah. it's obviously okay for some people. No, that's it. There's there's definitely people loving it. Um, again, it's like any new thing. There's early adopters are going to have problems with 
a lot of the tires to make them light enough because they are quite big they tend to be a wee bit weak still right um so i know there's a lot of customers having problems with the plus size tires they love the fact it's got good grip um, they like the way the the bigger volume feels but then they're ripping tires a lot and stuff so it's just something to keep an eye on i think you know yeah. i wouldn't rush out to to change for myself right now but okay um they'll definitely get the right way it's the same as 29ers you know two years ago probably right even up to the last year it was hard to get a decent tire in that size because hmm. all the developments sort of aimed at at the 27.5 so. right so for the tires that you run the magic mary's what you run that in the front but you don't really yeah. mind what you're on the back no, as long as it's half like decent last year i was on a rock razor in the back and liked it but i've just kept the standard maxis that came on the bike and it's fine like you know. right okay and what kind of price are you looking at for new tires of that kind of spec yeah, likes of a magic mary retails at about 65 quid i think you can find them most places for about 50 odd quid so yeah so. you see that just sounds i know that's the price of tires but yeah that just sounds crazy when it's you get, a lot of it's a lot of dough but then you know, it's it's one of two contact points with the ground on a three thousand pound machine. So yeah, it's yeah worth spending. Yeah, certainly. And a high spec tire like that won't necessarily last you as long, but it'll give you more enjoyment because you'll have more grip. Yeah, more confidence. It, it'll give you more grip. Um, gives me a lot more confidence in pushing you know the front end of the bike into stuff. I know mm-hmm. that the tire's gonna grip where so the cheaper tire wouldn't or the harder, more, like, better wearing tire wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's you don't get anything for free. It's definitely harder to push, um, and it's definitely going to wear out quicker, so you're going to have to find another 50 quid for a tire. Yeah. So thinking about my own situation then, if I was going to buy a new bike, so realistically, to upgrade my tires, I'm talking 150 quid, roughly. Yeah, 100 quid or thereabouts to get you a set of tires, you know, yeah. Okay, so that's another 100-odd quid spent. All right, rather than buying a new bike, right? Let's talk about drive chains and uh, gears and all that kind of stuff, because that confuses a lot of people. And there's loads of different options out there. Um, so my bike has a, a two by Kieran. Yep. Tut tut. Mm-hmm. Um, some older bikes come with three buys, obviously, um, but most of the new bikes come with a one by in the front. So can you explain the difference? And why that has changed? Yeah, uh, basically. So you're obviously one by just has a single ring on the front, and your two by, you know, you need a front mech. So the way things have changed recently is instead of having, you know, your sort of narrower range of cassettes, say an eleven thirty six on the back, um, with your two rings. Uh, so say two by ten two by ten speed mm-hmm. and your 20 gears instead of doing that if you run a cassette which goes say 11 teeth up to you can go 46 say as an average uh, 11 to 46 and just the one sort of 32 tooth for example ring on the front mm-hmm. that gives you a good spread of gears which would tackle tackle most things without the need to run a front mech which then clears up your handlebars in the front you don't have to run a shifter on the left so that's where you can put your dropper uh lever so it just neatens everything up and Mm -hmm. it's basically just a simpler system a bit less maybe a bit less weight because you're dropping a front mac but your cassette's getting bigger so sort of a compromise there but with the introduction of like narrow wide rings on the front and like clutch max it means that your chain's not going to fall off if it doesn't have a 
have a chain guide or if you're racing and you want to be doubly sure you're not going to lose uh-huh. a chain then you can put a really small light guide on so basically you can simplify the drivetrain system get a good selection of gears and you know just have a much much neater like you know yeah uh, we've been doing it for donkeys like just taking your uh rings off and running a single and then you had to run a chain device but you just made do with your 1136 and it seemed fine at the time and then someone gives you the option and go, here you can go to 42 and you go happy days that's good and then you go no nah, i don't need any bigger than that and then that rocky mountain came with a 46 and i haven't took it off so <laughs> it must be okay you know yeah and the shram eagle that everybody's talking about what's that running then i think it's up to 50 tooth really um so that that's getting to the edge now where you're getting trying to fit 12 gears onto a free hub body and as big as a 50 tooth like i think that's maybe one step too far we see quite a lot of people that are clipping their rear mac off stuff because obviously if you've a say a smaller wheel now 650b and a big 50 tooth and the cage on the mac needs to be quite long to take up all that spread of gears so mm-hmm. it's getting real close to the ground so it's kind of maybe just a bit beyond right normal but then it's just a sales thing to go yeah you like you've got this extra couple hundred percent of you know gear ratio um mm. on it and you've got now 12 gears but i'd say 11 speed you know up to 46 or so is perfect for for most people without yeah. putting too much strain on everything else and what advantage does the one by system give you on the trail as a rider? What advantage do you uh, have? I guess it just simplifies everything. If you're just sitting halfway up your cassette, you just go, "Do I want it to be easier or harder to pedal here, up or down?" Don't need to worry about when you're, you know, if you're cross chaining, yeah. that doesn't happen anymore. You don't need to worry about oh, I've reached the end of the cassette, I need to shift down at the front and then up at the back, and you know, to find the next gear along. It's just mm-hmm. straightforward, like. One gear harder, one gear, you know, one gear easier, um, and just bang up and down the cassette, just real, real handy and real, real simple, like so, um, and less rings to wear out, I guess, too. Yeah, yeah. And for the like of my bike, that's a two by, and I, I personally think it was maybe a three by at a stage, yeah. and they've just changed the front, <laughs> quite possible. Um, can that be converted to a one by? Oh yeah, um, it just depends what you're, what you're running. You know, if you have a ten speed. Um, rear I think mech. mine's a two benign. Two benign. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you might struggle to find someone making you a cassette bigger than a you know up to a thirty six. So that's where you'll struggle with a better range there. But um, you know, if anyone's running ten speed, like Shimano started making their cassettes up to forty two, I think now. Um, there is aftermarket stuff you can get to run a bigger ring behind. So you used to take out one of the teeth in your one of your rings in your cassette and put a big expander on the back um, it just comes to the limit of what the mech will stretch to mm-hmm. so you can buy aftermarket cages and stuff to settle that but now Shimano realised that so many people were doing the aftermarket way they released their own 40 tooth cassette so an 1140 with a decent sized ring you'll not really run out of speed you know yeah and again in my scenario is that something that's going to be expensive to do uh, it's not too bad it depends what you depends how much of it you want to change you know if you're happy enough with your crank set basically all you're buying is a, a front ring and then you're taking stuff off you know you're taking yeah. off a front mech and a front shit front shifter um it gets dearer if you want to you know start modifying your you know your rear cassette setup and um, it's not too bad if it's just a cassette you're maybe talking 
what are they, 80 quid or something like that for the cassette. Right. But if you're into expander ring at 50 quid, then a, you know, yeah. converting Cannot up. your cage at maybe another 30 odd quid, and then front ring narrow wides are, you know, cheap enough now, aluminium ones, 30 odd quid or something like that. Right. Yeah. But <clears throat> on top of your tires as well, you know, it's starting to. Starting it to is. price up. You may as well go tubeless now. You're changing your tires. Oh, dear, don't, well, we didn't even talk about tubeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't got all night. No, that's true. <laughs> uh, so, what about gears then? Uh, how much better are they on the new bikes nowadays? I'd say shifting's got pretty good. Like your lever feels pretty dialed. You know, if you're on something something half half decent. Um, like any of the SLX, XT stuff, and even like the GX and NX, all that stuff, it all feels mm. pretty crisp. Like, um, like cassettes make a big difference the way they're ramped and stuff, and everything just feels pretty nice now. Like, um, yeah. So, what advantages are to upgrading gears? Is it just smoother changing, or just more confidence? And uh, yeah, are they well, lighter? Are they stronger? Do they wear out? All the all them questions just rambled onto you at once. Yeah, yeah. So like, you kind of get you know the base stuff. It's all like the technology trickles down. So last year's SLX stuff will be what's appearing on you know Dior stuff, but just maybe made a bit cheaper. So you get parts that are made out of pressed steel that would have been cast aluminium. So you're just adding weight. But Mm -hmm. basically, the the fancier up the ladder you go, the more precise your shifting gets, and the lighter the components get. And the dearer it is to replace whenever right. you wear it out so you know yeah exactly so, you, so more aluminium rings in a cassette that's going to wear quicker than one that's all steel but it's also going to be lighter so it depends where you're right okay so it's one of those scenarios you get what you pay for exactly. and if you pay big bucks you get big bucks bills you do <laughs> but you get something that's lighter and more durable and all exactly. that kind yeah. of thing yeah so on an in, on a, on a bike then if i was to buy a new bike let's just say that canyon or that rocky mountain or your transition, Lewis. What is the gear spec like in them? Are they is it relatively good? Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, like everything you know from a two and a half grand, three grand bike is going to be good quality. Like all mm-hmm. the, it's all you know, even the entry level stuff now all shifts really well. Like like all the all the technologies has been dialed in. Everything yeah. has just been made good, and they can't unmake it good. They can just make it cheaper, but. Right, it still feels feels nice. I uh, so like Katrina's bike that she's running. It's got SRAM NX, which mm-hmm. is that the entry level yeah. SRAM. It seems to change lovely. It yeah, seems so really smooth. Nice. Yeah. Um. So, why do you think you need to go more expensive? Then again, is it just what you're saying? It's more durable and. Uh, less durable you less think less durable yeah um, it's just less bulky um, you know the NX stuff is is a bit bulky on it like but the shifting does get more precise but you're you're splitting hairs you know yeah. once you go up the up, up the spec like do you think as cheaper gears and stuff like that something that initially really work well but when you've had the bike for six or eight months, it starts to not be so good and starts to develop more faults. Is it just not as... Yeah, well, I can. it's not always down to wear on the components. Like, you know, a 
like loads of shifting and loads of years of abuse on a rear mech like the pivots will start to get a bit of play in them so you're pulling the lever and it's pulling a bit of play and then you know then doing its shift so it's going to make you know there's going to get less accuracy there um, but at the same time you know could just be stuff like you know cables and water getting into your cables and stuff like that so right. routine maintenance is good okay you know obviously on that but um, I don't think the cheaper stuff's not going to wear out any faster than the the dearer stuff. Really, know? that's very interesting. I thought so. Wow, brakes then. Mm-hmm. On my bike, I have Shimano SLX. Yeah. On the back, and I've got Shimano Dior on the front. Um, that's the way it came. That's the way I bought it. Uh, they don't really work anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, I just stick my foot in the back tire. You know the yeah. way you do that oh, yeah. between the frame and your yeah. back tire. Yeah. Um, but have brakes changed a lot in ten years? I think so, especially the way the the market's kind of shifting toward the kind of enduro bike style of things. So, starting to see a lot more like what you call four pot uh, caliper, which is you know, four little pistons instead oh. of two. So, wow. basically, get you a bigger brake pad and uh, more power onto the onto the rotor so that sort of style of you know more aggressive brakes coming through really but pass that man the mic <laughs> now just the the four piston brakes it was something you could always get but they were tend to be big bulky downhill brakes whereas now right. you know a four piston brake could definitely be an enduro or trail brake uh, so you've got like shimano bringing out xt ones so they're they're just nice small light little calipers that, mm. that still have a lot of power in them so mm-hmm. cool and what about the discs and stuff like that you get different sizes why is that um just you know bigger discs are gonna give you more power um again the downside is there's more rotational weight um probably slightly harder to keep bigger rotors straight as well you know mm-hmm. um they're more prone to warping and getting hit and, and dinged up but um Definitely, if you feel like you're running out of braking power or you're fading brakes a lot, then maybe a wee pad change to something a bit more, you know, aggressive pad and a bigger rotor will definitely help. So. Mm-hmm. And I could convert my bike to do that kind of thing, change the brakes, yeah, change the disc. Yeah, you can get uh, a mount adapter just to suit different size rotors and stuff. So. Right, okay. I wouldn't need to be changing the hubs and my rims running to put a different disc size on no. or anything like that. No, just uh, change the mount adapter, change the disc, and you can usually just swap between whatever you want. So. Right, okay. So what about brands like Hope? I heard you talking about brakes earlier, yeah, Lewis, uh, and you were talking about a Pacific Hope brake. So brands like that, which are quite expensive, so you can go from you know, your, your SRAM NX stuff and all the cheaper end stuff to the likes of Hope. So what's the advantage of going and spending more money on the likes of Hope stuff, which we all love, by the way? Brakes are a strange thing at the minute. It used to be that the Hope was kind of, you know, one of the higher ones you would aim for. Like, like it was top of the top of the pile. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really had to pay to get, like, a good quality Hope brake. Um, now Hopes are, like, the same price as, like, a you know a SRAM guide rs or like you know there's 20 quid difference in them i was checking today for a customer um the new shimano xt4 pods the same price it's actually maybe a five or more expensive than a than wow. a hope e4 right um so you know price wise they're all very, fairly similar um 
the the Shimano stuff's kind of like you know very fit and forget. We find you know customers can put it on just right away at it for donkeys um, and not need to touch it. The Hope stuff's very similar, and um, we kind of tend to sell a lot of Hope stuff because of their you know they've got the, the products are great. They're well designed. They're well made. Mm-hmm. Um, the after service is brilliant. Like you need anything from Hope, they'll have a spare part. It's perfect for you because they'll have it ten years later. Um, <laughs> So you can still it's get you can still get a part for your you know ten plus year old hub or or a, like a seal for your brake master cylinder or something. So yeah, it's kind of like if you're that guy that likes to look after stuff and not just be like throw away. You know, the the hope stuff tends to be really good because you can get every small part for it. Yeah, and always fix it. Whereas like a Shimano brake, if you need a, you know, you can't rebuild a caliper or you can't rebuild a master cylinder. Um, they don't sell spares individually. That is one unit. You buy either a lever, uh, hose, or a caliber if you need to fix either right. one of those. So, yeah, I like the Hope stuff. It's not as throwaway. It's stuff yeah, that you okay. can buy, you know, and and transfer it between between bikes. You know, if you buy a new bike two or three years later, your Hope brakes are still probably mint. They probably just need a good blade clean mm. and maybe a couple of seals thrown at them and. Yeah, they're good for another couple of years, Pastons. Yeah, it's interesting because my mate, as I was telling you, rides the hardtail. Um, it's a Max light. Yeah. But he runs all Hope components on it. And that, that bike, I think, is 20 years old. Yeah. And right. the Hope stuff, he got, you know, he, he got the bike made up. So he bought the frame and got forks, et cetera, et cetera. Got all the Hope components. That Hope stuff still rocks. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. Like, a lot of company stuff has, you know, maybe got a bit more throwaway over the years, whereas Hope have just still made the same high-quality, like, all-machined out of billet aluminium uh, parts that they always did, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd have no doubt that, you know, we still regularly see probably 8- to 10-year-old Hope Pro 2s coming through the shop needing just a couple of bearings thrown in them, you know. Uh, still going strong, way longer than a lot of other stuff. So. Awesome. That sounds awesome. Um, so brakes then, realistically, for the riding experience, just give you more confidence, help you yeah, stop you, quicker, obviously. But You don't want a brake that's going to be, uh, like, fading. And, mm. you know, like, when you're when you're not an amazing rider, you tend to use the brakes more than, than somebody who's a bit faster. So, um, it's not something worth skimping on thinking that you're not going to use them. You know, like I find myself cooking brakes a wee bit cause I'm a bit scared, but, uh, <laughs> you know, a better brake definitely makes a bigger difference. Like maybe this time last year I had the standard brakes that came on my mega. Um, we were riding a fairly steep wee track down behind Ross Trevor and, uh, like I left that day going like I need better brakes just you know mm. my fingers were pulled out of me just because I was on them all the time and I was cooking them and then your fingers are working harder so then you've got more arm pump and right. you know you're just making an already hard task way harder you know? yeah whereas if you've got a brake that's maybe a wee bit more than what you need you know you're just putting a lot less effort in so Right, aye, so that that's good. Because, so it comes down to more than just simply stopping you. Yeah. There's I mean, a lot yeah. more add-on, feed-on things from bad brakes as such. Definitely, yeah. I mean, you put yourself down a real steep track um, where you're maybe not, like, you know, super confident rider. You'll definitely be on the brakes, you know, from start to finish. Um, so if you've got something that's going to, like, just not have enough 
powering it to start with you're going to be pulling harder or if the pads are just not suitable they'll be glazing up and then you may as well like you stick a vice grip on the on the lever and it'll still not stop you you know Aye. and you'll just be out of control trying to hold on when you're tired sore um hmm. and just making it all more difficult so. cool let's move on to dropper posts mm-hmm. uh, because that was the first time when i had the rocky mountain out that i had a dropper post and i didn't use it around castle well at all i used it a bit at dava and I thought to myself, well, you know what? I don't know what the big deal is. I don't really think I need one of these. But then, when I went back on my own bike, <laughs> I was like, mm, I wish I had a dropper post. <laughs> I was probably a late enough convert to dropper post as well. I kind of had a, the same sort of feeling. Um, you know, I always thought, like, if I'm pedaling up to the top of Donner or something, I've got plenty of time to get my breath back and put my seat post down, you know, for the mm. descent. So... Until I used one, I didn't think I needed one, but now that I've used one, I can't not use one. So Yeah. Um, they're even great for trail centers and stuff. You know, the likes of Castlewell, and you've maybe got, like, the odd rough bit where you would like to seat down out of the way, but then the rest of the place is kind of, yeah. you know, fairly, like, simple and mundane. You you don't mind having the seat up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can even just, you know, if you're out blasting Stravas, you can you know rattle through sort of the the rougher bit and then seat straight back up back on the pedals full efficiency so yeah it's weird because i just don't think i was in the right trail centers to get the full advantage of it i was yeah. nothing maybe steep enough i mean in a way yeah dav is probably like you know it's very much you pedal to the top and then there's there's quite a lot of just descending which is cool like that's what you yeah. want but um you know maybe somewhere that that's very up and down and you don't really get a chance to you know you're just from straight from a descent right into something a bit more mm-hmm. level or uphill dropper post definitely comes in real handy yeah and it's funny because without a dropper post you find yourself obviously sitting quite a lot but when i was using the dropper post on the altitude you're you're there is sections where you're standing and pedaling yeah but i think i was so much faster because of that yeah definitely i mean Riding something steep and nasty with a seat, you know, up is like it's real hard. Like people can do it, like hats off them, but like they're it's not for me. Yeah, I want that seat out of the way so I can move around the bike the way I need to move around the bike. Hmm. And uh, the dropper post just lets you do that with ease and real efficiency. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm not much of a racer, but if you're racing enduro, you know the stages are kind of laid out where. They're not all just downhill tracks. Yeah. So you're going to be making a quick transition from, you know, maybe one of the, like, it will be as steep as a downhill track and as gnarly, and then you're going straight into a, a flat pedal for maybe, you know, mm. the next minute. So being able to just, like, get straight on the pedals, pop the seat up, pedal away, uh, rest your legs, you know, mm-hmm. it's a big, big difference for that yeah. sort of stuff. So could I convert my bike to have a dropper post? You can. You can fit a dropper post to pretty much anything now. Um, it used to be a limitation on seat post diameter. You just to package all that uh, into the seat post, you needed to have like a 30.9 or bigger, but there's companies make ones for smaller frames as well now. Right, so that's doable. What kind of price are you looking at? I know there's quite a difference. Massive range. Um, you know, dropper posts kind of started with a reverb and stuff maybe coming in at like 400 quid um they probably still are uh 
we tend to sell a lot of the brand x ones they're coming in at about 140 quid retail and they're a great post real solid not much difference in weight and probably more reliable than a reverb so right and are they all externally written and stuff some external some internal you can get both right okay and for the likes of if i was to upgrade so let to let's say that altitude yeah the quality of the dropper post that comes in that what's that like that's one of the top of the range ones really that's a fox transfer post oh Um, so it's a fancy one what kind of price would that be retail now i think they're probably around about 300 quid wow so yeah so you see already if i'm to update my bike you're already looking and if i want to go tubeless right that's not even you know there's some things like i'm all for old stuff you know yeah i play about with old cars and stuff but you know the technology in bikes has just made it much easier to ride the terrain you're riding yeah but, uh yeah new bikes are cool because so. i'm looking you know i'm thinking there's a grand anyway yeah already which you may as well have just stuck in the fire yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> your frame still <laughs> miles off but yeah um <laughs> Right, bars and seat then, um, the bars have got much wider on bikes. Yeah, generally, wider bars, a bit more, they've went a bit wide sometimes, but yeah, a bit more control. More control, and do you think for a position on the bike, it opens your chest up a bit, lets you breathe maybe a wee bit more, is that all come into play? Like definitely the wider bar will make the bike feel a wee touch longer, which is quite good for climbing as well so mm-hmm. whether you're you know all like the sender or you're an all-round rider a cross-country rider generally wider bars tend to be better um open your chest up make the bike feel longer mm-hmm. get your weight you know more over the front wheel as well so helps for cornering grip and it helps for climbing ability so the bike's not constantly like lifting the front wheel as well right cool yeah because i think the bars on the altitude that i had out are um 780 mil yeah I think the ones on mine are maybe 760 or something like that. But you do notice the difference. Yeah, you I mean, you definitely would. Um, probably You'll notice a difference going up the wider bar, mm. but I think you notice it more when you go back. Um, it's hard to go from like a 780 back to a 760 or something. So, mm-hmm. And is there much available in, in bars on the market price-wise and quality-wise and stuff? Yeah, loads of really good options. Um it's really hard to find bad bike components these days. Uh, like, there's so many companies doing it. You know, it's got such a big market. It used to be you'd, you'd be very limited as to what you could get, and you paid a premium for that. But now you can get, like, you know, direct the brands, like Superstar and stuff, make a decent handlebar, and it'll probably be, like, 30, 40 quid. Wow. Um, proof make a real nice, what's their neutrons, like, you know, 25, 30 quid or something. So. carbon rentals or something like you know yeah spend as deep as your pockets are really as much as you want mm-hmm. kieran let's talk about that the saddle that you put on that rocky mountain yeah <laughs> <laughs> um now the saddle i have in my specialized is cheap <laughs> but it's not too bad the saddle you put on that rocky mountain had me standing up more than i was sitting down that's what it's for you're not supposed to use it you're not <laughs> so is there much difference and you really like that saddle though don't yeah, you what yeah. is it wtb uh, or something uh no it's an sdg fly right okay yeah. why did you put that on 
I don't remember why I bought it. I got a good deal on it, and I found it comfortable. And it just it's moved through the last couple of bikes with me. Right, cool. Um, I know you didn't find it comfortable, but <laughs> obviously I've been down the chippy a few more times, and I've more padding in here or something. So, um, but seats again is something that is crazy as far as price range go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like everyone's a different shape, you know. Right. It's hard to, it's hard to like. I suppose all the road guys would know maybe a bit more as well. But like, it's you kind of need to spend time on something to know that's really good, and then that makes it hard to take a punt on a saddle that's one hundred and fifty quid. You know. Yeah. Because it's maybe going to be have less material there, but have a bit more, Aye. you know, support. Yeah, you know, rather than something that's big and padded, it's going to get in your way. But um, it's a case of trial and error and find out what you like. Yeah, it's a strange one. And would you think that the majority of saddles that come on bikes are okay? I'd say most people just right. they'll just carry on with whatever whatever is on it. I've heard some people complain about stuff, and some people have been buying the last saddle mm. for the last ten years, just getting a new version of it or the new color or mm. or whatever, just because they know that saddle works for them or yeah. even that brand you know someone might go yeah i just buy sdg saddles because they work for me and people go i just buy specialized saddles because they work for me some people go i just sit on it you know it's yeah different people yeah so do you think the likes <clears throat> of saddles and grips really matter that much i know they're contact points so they really yeah. should be comfortable well, that's to a degree but say. you know you're I would, like the main things you know, if I was buying a bike, you'd think about changing ten to be your contact points. You know, mm. you know, pedals are quite mm-hmm. specific. People like different things, or just put the cheap stuff on and grips as well. Like you know, if you ride gloves or you ride without gloves, some people like soft grip, fat grip. You know, yeah, something hard, skinny. I don't know. You know, different, different things, different shapes, different ergonomics to it all. Like you know, yeah, it's all it's all personal preference. You just need to try stuff and see. Okay, yeah, so that's just trial and error, really, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Quality-wise, you get what you pay for, probably. <coughs> yeah, I guess so. You get some stuff that just pops up at good value. You know, the uh, DMR Death Grips are 16 quid, and they're mm. real comfortable, loads of options, loads of colorways. Um, and, like, I just keep going straight to the Troy Lee ODI Grips, just buy them all the time. Like, they're mm-hmm. 30 quid ago, but they just they work for me, nice and comfortable, nice and grippy. Cool. Okay. Now, here's the question. So, you've talked me into buying a new bike. That was easy. Well, <laughs> sorry, I'm not paying for it. <laughs> what price do you think I should be spending on a bike, considering I ride maybe once a week or twice a week? What do you think I need to spend? Um, where are you going to ride it and? Well, yeah. Well, I'm riding it in Davi and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like trail centers? Yeah. Do you think it's better spending, let's say, up to two grand and maybe changing that every two to three years? Or do I need to spend five grand on a bike and keep it for another 10 years? What what's the best way do you think with the way technology changes quickly and all now? Um, I think we're hopefully coming to the end. Of all the technology change. Oh, Lewis shakes his head. Yeah. No. Um, like, I mean, if you bought a bike two years ago, you're going to be pretty pissed off at the new axle spacings and stuff that doesn't let you buy wheels to suit and all that kind of stuff. But I think things are pretty good now that, 
Um, I don't know if they can make up any more stuff to change apart from this new dub bottom bracket thing that we're going to ignore. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think like. I think there's a lot of people who just change bike every year, and I don't know whether they just get, you know, an excellent cycle to work scheme or something in work, or mm. or just have a good loan company. Um, but yeah, changing bike every couple of years, I'd say is good. I think you kick yourself if you bought a five grand Santa Cruz and then tried to sell it yeah. after five years, you know, and it'd be worth yeah nothing yeah <laughs> you know uh so i think keeping it reasonably fresh you know um is the is the way to do it but right i think that kind of three grand bike is the magic magic number okay so up to about three and would you change that every year would you or every just uh, depending every couple of, i'd say every two years right but it it's personal like you know yeah um do you think maybe another way to go would be to buy a bike that's maybe a couple of years old? Uh, it's an option, yeah. I think there's definitely good value stuff to be had. Um, it just depends what your what your riding's like as well and what the bike you're buying is. I think in this day and age, it's good to have something with a warranty. You know, if you bought okay, something that yeah, was five grand, but then, you know, got it two years later and, and got it really cheap, then you'd be over the moon. But if you, if say it has a carbon frame and you crack it, then that's just done. You know, you mm. you have nowhere to go from that. Um, so and some stuff, I think it's best to be the original owner mm-hmm. um, just for, for safety and that sort of thing. But yeah, um, there's definitely good secondhand deals to be had out there because people buy a bike every year Aye. and maybe okay. don't wreck it too much in that time and there's there's definitely good stuff out there yeah and most bikes come with like a five-year warranty or something do they yeah it varies from manufacturer to manufacturer you right. know um any of the good ones will stand over their stuff for five right. years or like and is that normally just on frame or is that on components as well normally about a year on components right it varies right stuff. okay and obviously some of that stuff is you know, it's not going to be warrantable. Like if you turn your wheel into a Pringle because you lamp something really <laughs> big, they're they're not going to stand over yeah. that. But uh, over manufacturing defects anyway. Grand, right? So to wrap it up, guys, what would you think is the top two or three reasons why I should change and buy a new bike? Um, I mean, bikes have just got better. You know, they're easier to ride. They're easier to ride fast. Um, technology's just made it where the the bikes, you know, they've just got a lot more R and D in them now, and like it's just evolution, really. Mm. You know, it's the same as anything. Like cars have got more efficient, they got faster. You know, it's it's just the way everything's went. Um, I'd find it real hard to go back to something that's maybe twenty six inch wheel and with like a three degree steeper head angle. Um. Yeah, I'd probably just quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so buy a new bike or yeah. quit, basically. <laughs> cool. All right, well, that's awesome. Guys, listen, um, thank you so much no problem. for taking the time and chatting us through that. And um, I'll see if you can give me a sneaky wee deal on one of these Rocky Mountains. But, uh, that's it. So, Kieran, if you already buy a bike now, up to three grand, what would you, or sorry, Lewis, what would you go for? There's so much available. Um, I probably shouldn't say this because we're a small independent bike shop. But <laughs> if you're if you've just like 
the regular punter there's a lot of deals to be had with direct sales models and stuff you know um yeah, but then you don't get the you no, just don't get the you, you don't, don't you get, wouldn't have this you don't get to talk to your local bike shop and you don't get someone that's gonna stand over it as easy you know we yeah process quite a few warranties on canyons yts all that kind of stuff um just for customers and like we charge an admin fee for it because we're really doing just what you can do you know mm-hmm. and talking to the factory direct and, and posting bits and jobs off but you know if you buy that from us you just bring it in the door and go that's broke <laughs> fix it or you know it's just a lot more straightforward and yeah a lot, a lot easier there's just a bit more customer service with it but you definitely do have to pay extra because there's just another person in the loop you know yeah okay um, there's a distributor making money on the bike rather than just direct from factory to seller, you know? Yeah. Um, but you can get stonking deals on, on bikes that way. Uh, but then there's brands like Nukeproof that aren't coming in, you know, they're maybe like 200 quid more and you get the buy from a local bike shop and you get your warranty through a local bike shop, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the specs like pretty much mirror what, yeah. what you can get from a direct brand. So, yeah, um, no. Essentially, yeah. stay local, boys. Stay local. No, that's it. I'm all for it. Come in, we'll sell you bikes, no problem at all, and we'll stand over them. Um, the other thing is, like, getting a bike set up correctly from the start. You know, mm. um, even from as simple as just the bike being put together, right? So your gears, you know, it's all well and good buying a four grand YT with X01, but. If it's not indexed right or if it's not set up right or if it's got a bent hanger in the box or something, that stuff we'll notice when we build the bike and we'll straighten it, we'll set it up. Yeah. Um, so you, you're getting definitely a better product out the door of a local bike shop if the local bike shop knows what they're doing. So mm. um, what else? Setup, you know, just getting, even getting your basic, you know, sag setup and stuff. And uh, not going too in depth, but just getting that bike set up for your weight, like we done with you on the Rocky Mountain, um, mm-hmm. and just sort of having to bounce on it to make sure it feels roughly uh, balanced when it's set up at that weight. You know, that may sound like something is not of much value, but you would be surprised how many people are floating about the trails on four grounds with a paperweight. You know, like you can see their forks are diving the back ends bucking them off over the over mm. the front and stuff and you're like I just I just stand and shake my head <laughs> <laughs> I'd say nothing you should just slip my wee business card that's there it you go. Yeah, but it's oh, just you know. want people to see the value in that you know yeah um, but yeah like there's there's so many good bikes now it's really hard to point anyone in any one direction like the bikes you see us selling we only sell because we believe in the brands you know yeah um like i had a bit of a background in the nukeproof stuff so i know what's went into it mm-hmm. i know the ride good i've put enough time in them one so um transition we took a punt on because their stuff looked interesting um and we kind of like the brand as well you know yeah and what they're doing with all the the new geometry and stuff like it's something i wanted to have a go on and cool and see what it was you know see if it worked the way it, it's supposed to and i was apprehensive you know i think i might have spoke to you when i when it was coming and i hadn't mm. ridden it yet and i was like if this doesn't ride as good as my mega it's going up the road straight away <laughs> um so that's it like we don't mess about there's no point us selling stuff we don't believe in um so yeah hopefully you get a bit of that from your local bike shop but you, you do here anyway mm. um so yeah it's 
Well, awesome, boys. Thank you so much. That's I appreciate it. it. Trust the people that are riding them, and hopefully they can steer you in the right direction. Um, yeah. But, yeah, have a look at some, you know, reputable uh, places that are reviewing bikes, like, you know, mm-hmm. Dirt Magazine. Like, Steve Jones has always been a bit of a a legend. I don't know what he's doing now, actually. Um, I don't think he's with Dirt. But, uh, yeah, you know, just check out reviews from yeah. people who are renowned for knowing what they're talking about and not just mm-hmm. somebody who started a website to review bikes to get to get some free stuff sent to them. So. Yeah, yeah, good point, good yeah. point. Dudes, thank you so much. No problem. And uh, I hope you have a good evening. There's not much left, but I hope it goes all well. So thanks very much. I appreciate it again, boys. No problem. That's it for episode 70, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, Lewis and Kieran from Make Monkey, thanks again, guys. Um, I know um, we've done this one before in the past there, but it was great to uh, just let some people hear that which haven't heard that episode. It's one of the best downloaded episodes, and I think it's because of a subject that's so close to people's hearts. You know, why should they change a bike? Why should they spend money on a new bike? Um, so I know it'll go down well again. I just want to give people the chance to hear it that haven't heard it in the past because most people won't dive back that far into your previous episodes if they're just a new listener to the show so guys thanks so much and to the guys that have heard that show previously and are long time listeners thanks so much for all your support I really appreciate it 2018 was an awesome year for the podcast and I hope to keep that going on to 2019 so thanks so much guys now if you want to get more involved with the show you can simply subscribe to the show just visit the website mtb-tribe.com you'll find the info on there you'll get one email a week just letting you know who's coming on the show and a quick synopsis about what we'll be chatting about Um, so you can do that that helps out the show for sure you can also find us on socials on instagram at mtb tribe and facebook at mtb tribe and as i say before if you listen via itunes or stitcher or whatever please leave a review and share the show it always helps the show be seen and word of mouth is the best way to do that and the more people we can get listening to the show the more people we can get off the sofas and onto the saddles and that is the aim of the podcast so folks thanks so much again for being here i really do appreciate it and i will speak to you next week for another episode of the mtb tribe podcast mm-hmm.